You like the Just Baseball show and want to make your own? Let me tell you about Anchor. It's free. There's a creation tool that allows you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Now you can even add any song from Spotify directly to your episodes. The possibilities are endless for what you can create, whether it's music analysis, your own radio show, or something the world's never seen before. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and much more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Friday, August 27th. We are like finally at September, pretty much. How cool is that? Like September, baseball matters, baseball matters for all 162 games, but September, the heat is turning. It's crazy, right? We're in the middle of September. It feels like we just started the season. It feels like we just started the podcast. And I've always felt, though, that August, even though a lot of sports fans don't really like it because there's not many sports going on, I love the month of August because it's just baseball. It's literally just baseball. And as we move in September and October, I love that there's both football and baseball. But this is like the only month of the year where I can focus solely on the game. It's one of my favorite months of the year. It's just baseball. It's literally the name of the podcast. Exactly. Literally, that's what we are. We're the month of August. Think of us. If you don't like August, then get out. Get out. No, don't get out. Like We, we love you guys. Uh, I'm Jack McMullen. He's Peter Apple, and we got a good show coming up. John Frankel, correspondent for Real Sports. We're making uh, Real Sports correspondence a thing now, right, with Soledad O'Brien. And I don't know, just kind of making HBO a thing because Bob Costas has uh, his show on HBO coming up too. But John Frankel talks about the collectibles market, which is fascinating. I, I want to learn so much about it, and you and Aram dove into it with John Frankel. And uh, it was a good conversation, right? It was a fantastic conversation. John was so nice. He was so awesome. We talked all about NFTs. We talked about the fact that Mickey Mantle's card selling for six plus million dollars and the boom of the entire market. So if you're interested in trading cards, you're interested in prospects, this is a great interview to listen to. And he's just so goddamn smart. And that's why we love all the HBO correspondents, because not only are they so researched within what they just did, but they're so well-spoken and they can explain what about the piece they found interesting while also explaining, I guess, what's so interesting just about the card market in general. Yeah. I I feel like all these correspondents just kind of stem from the same tree of knowledge and curiosity. Like all of them seem very intellectually curious where they want to just keep learning more about something. And they're fascinated about the topic that they pick. And the reality is they can pick their topics. Which is And it's a topic that makes so much sense for us, right? Because we love trading cards and so we're trying to learn more. And that's why it was such a good conversation because not only am I asking questions just about the piece, but I'm also genuinely learning about a business that I kind of want to invest in. Exactly. 
exactly. And we played the game with Arm, right, where I showed him a bunch of cards and I said, is this worth more than $6? And the answer was yes to some of them. You might have a trunk in your basement that you can go into. Seriously. Find cards that are worth $50. I found a Freddie Freeman rookie card in good condition. That thing's probably worth 50 bucks right now. And it could go even higher as Freddie Freeman does better. That's the thing. It's like it's it's a stock market, right? Let's say you want Brennan Davis before he reaches that all-star level. You buy low. It's like buying Apple before the iPhone got got let out. Exactly. Exactly. It's like our version of stonks with an N. N. The guy with the arrow pointing up like the mannequin type figure. Uh, before we get into the baseball conversation, you were wearing an NYC FC jersey, New York City FC. Yes, sir. Uh, I I assume that you're celebrating <laughs> the Champions League draw that happened earlier today. That's exactly what I was doing, celebrating the Champions League draw. Let's be honest. You know what that means? Not even a little bit. <laughs> Let's be honest with each other. I don't know anything about soccer, but I like the color blue. It's also a sweet shirt. It is kind of a sweet shirt. Guess how much I got it for. Oh, see, this is my favorite thing. I actually got made fun of uh, for this in college. Whenever somebody would compliment something that I owned, I would always have to tell them what kind of discount I got on it. <laughs> so, it it's the most amazing discount you've ever heard. Oh, man. Okay. Before that, I just want to tell you about my TCL TV, like my stand-up flat screen TV that's, I think, 46 inches or something. And somebody said, hey, that's a nice TV my junior year of college. Yep, went to Costco, got it with Roku for 200 bucks. <laughs> yeah, so much. I love that. It's like, you probably thought I spent more, idiot. Right, yeah. I paid so little for this. Like, congratulate me. I want a high five for not Is spending. Is that still a flex as you get older? I think so. Right? Yeah, and I know there are some walks of life where they they flex on how much they actually spent on something. Like, oh, these shoes were however many hundred dollars. I'd prefer to go the other way. I yeah, got there's the opposite, opposite sides of the spectrum. Yes, opposite sides. Uh, and how much was your shirt? $4. No way. And I'll tell you why. So when I was working at the New York Yankees, what they do is they have these sales for employees kind of after the season when the soccer season was over, when these were just not selling anymore. So they said, you know what? Let's sell it at probably at cost which is crazy that these cost $4, but then they're retailed for probably like one twenty. but I got it for $4. It's very comfortable. It's very light. I feel extremely athletic, hugs my arms very well. Nice. I'm feeling good. I'm feeling confident. Hey, the more I wear these breaking tees, the more I realize how I love that they like just kind of fall over the torso, but they hug your arms. I hug mean, your arm, hug the shoulders, hug the chest, but it's an, it's a nice fit. They make me look hot. That's a tall looking hot. Yeah, no, dude. I mean, it's it's hard to make me look hot, but I'm hot. You know who else is hot right now? Robbie freaking Ray. Robbie Ray of the Toronto Blue Jays is approaching the Cy Young conversation in the American League. He's second in ERA. He's sixth in FIP. He's in the top five in strikeouts per nine. He just threw seven innings, 14 Ks, one run against the White Sox offense, who are one of the best teams in baseball off lefties. Robbie Ray didn't give a shit. He just shoved it down their throat like he's been shoving it down everyone's throat all season. I think he's got to get a little bit of love. Is there a chance that if the Blue Jays get into the postseason, they win the wild card game and they actually make the ALCS a, no. a fight? Why not? I don't think they're going to make the playoffs. Yeah, but have why to not? The Mariners, the A's, and the Red Sox. 
to make that second wild card game where they'll probably face Garrett Cole in game one. So that let, seems like a loss to me. It, it does, but I love that front three in the rotation, and we know how good that offense is, oh, right? Yeah. With Laddie and Bo and Teoscar Hernandez, all these guys. Winner's just been out. Like it, they haven't been fully healthy all year altogether. Yeah, they haven't. So if Springer comes back and he's got this full health and George Springer is George Springer, that offense is maybe the best offense in baseball, aside from the Dodgers, maybe the Astros. You see Bregman's back. But that front three now with adding Barrios to the deadline, Robbie Ray standing on his head, and then Hyunjin Ryu, you can never discount. It's very true. But like I said, I mean, you said it yourself. We're approaching September. There's not that many games left for them to overtake it. They'd have to go on an absolute run while the Red Sox, A's, and Mariners all start to fall. It's just, it's not that they're not good enough because their roster is great. And maybe if they were in the AL Central or they were in the AL West, we'd be having a different conversation. But the fact that they got to play the Rays, the Yankees, the Red Sox, all the freaking time is just hard. And it's just a matter of fact that they're the fourth best team in the division right now. Yeah, I don't I don't think this is a hot take, but I do want to mention this with Seattle. I think Jared Kelnick's hurting the Mariners really badly right now. I know why. Why do you – not that why do you think that as if you're wrong. I just like why is that happening? Why is he still playing? Like why is he not in AAA right now? I don't get it really. I mean, he's great and he's going to be really good, we think. And he's got plenty of time and he's only what 21 years old. Yeah. I don't, I don't really get it either. I feel like you could totally just like send him back down. He's not playing at least at MLB average. Like he's not a replacement level player. Yeah. Hey, we got a couple of quick apologies to issue before we get into uh, some Padres Dodgers talk. I do want to apologize to somebody on Twitter. Kazim Hall tweeted at us. I want a formal apology to Juan Soto on the next pod, not including him in your top 10 for NL MVP. You're right. I, we were just going quick right. fire. We didn't have anything written down. We were just trying to a, brainstorm who could finish in front of Austin Riley and Juan Soto. Absolutely. Juan Soto's top five in NL MVP voting this year. He's a freak. Like he's, he's the best left-handed hitter in baseball. Dude. Right. So good. I, Aram and I were talking about the active. No, no, but you got to like, is he better than Freddie Freeman? Yeah, I would. Yeah. Right. Best left-hander in baseball. All right. Continue. Sorry. Just had to make Uh, sure that was. Yeah. No, I, (laughs) the thing is like, it's so weird to say that a 22 year old is better than Freddie Freeman, A and B offer you no pushback when you say he's the best left-handed hitter in baseball. He He just is. Um, But yeah, I mean, we, we totally forgot about Juan Soto. Aram and I were talking about the, the future active Hall of Famers right now. And a lot of guys we were talking about were on the downswing, right? So Scherzer, Kershaw, Verlander, um, Yadier Molina, possibly, Wainwright, possibly. The crazy thing is, you say on the downturn, all of those guys are having like elite seasons right now. Yeah. Which <laughs> is crazy. Scherzer's elite. Uh, Yadi's elite. Wainwright's elite. Wainwright's elite. elite. But the thing is, like, it's not the weirdest thing in the world to say that Juan Soto is on a phenomenal trajectory to being a Hall of Famer because he's 22 years old. They compare him to Ted Williams. Like, yeah, he's 22. He's 22. And imagine him 26. He's still got a lot to learn. He's probably going to grow more. 
Juan Soto is younger than Adley Rutschman, right? Yeah. Adley Rutschman's 23. That's there so... Was a great, one of the greatest tweets I've seen on Twitter this whole season is, I can't imagine what Juan Soto will do when he's Adley Rutschman's age. That's absurd. I like absurd. My brain hurts thinking about that. Another 22-year-old went one for seven last night in a 16-inning game. Fernando Tatis Jr. hit a game-tying home run in the bottom of the 15th. He is probably your frontrunner for NL MVP, but that game was so beyond screwed up. There were 11 intentional walks. The Dodgers intentionally walked eight Padres, and zero came in to score. Zero came in to score. Watching those extra innings was like watching grass grow. I mean, God. It was, I mean, it, it was still exciting. Uh, uh, that's not what I meant. But the fact that with a runner on second, two of the most high-powered offenses in baseball, you could have freaking run it. That game had everything you wanted, right? Walker Bueller, one of the best pitchers in Major League Baseball, goes seven innings strong. Blake Snell has maybe the best start of his entire career. He went seven and two-thirds. Seven and two-thirds. That set his career high. 122 pitches. Career high. You would think that he would have thrown an eight-inning game before, but he just has never done it. He's never done it because he's been a strikeout fiend, but he hasn't necessarily been an efficiency fiend. I think Snell is is trying to flip the page right now. Unfortunately, I think that start for Snell was an outlier. I don't think he's that caliber of pitcher anymore, but he has it in the tank. It's very obvious that he does have that ability. But you had the dueling aces, quote-unquote, going at it, even though Snell's like a three right now. And Scherzer, or uh, Bueller might be a two behind Scherzer now. But you had the dueling aces. He might win the Cy Young. Exactly. (laughs) You had two of the best offenses in baseball be held to a 1-1 game until like the 15th inning. And then you had the Dodger bullpen go nine and a third innings of one hit ball. 16 innings was the longest game played innings wise since this new rule, this extra inning rule was implemented to have that place runner at second base. I thought we'd never see it again. And the game ended at four Oh eight in the morning. Eastern time. Eastern yeah. time. Four in the morning. It started at 10. Dude, it was almost a six-hour game. It's just – it's a lot of baseball. It's crazy. And you think about West Coast baseball, too. Like, more than three-quarters of the country did not see that. And a lot of people oh, on the West Coast went to bed before that was over. 100%. It was at one in the morning. Also, something that was firing me up about the extra innings is that you see how fired up the bullpen pitchers Dude. were after each outing? They were every single time. Each team just, yeah, just <laughs> shouting, so pumped. It was kind of electric. That's what kind that, of kept me rolling. Did that not feel like a postseason environment? Absolutely. I mean, it felt like the postseason environment. Yeah, yeah. Quick word before we kind of move on: the Mets are in a downward spiral. You want to talk? I know about we've that? talked about it before. Yeah. Two and 10 in their last 12, seven and 18 since the All Star break or since the trade deadline. Hmm. You, no want to about, anymore. you want to talk about that Javi Bias swing? 
we were at the game. We were at the game. He didn't even look. He's not even looking at the ball. He missed it by three and a half feet. And I think the pitch was on like a 2-1 count. The Mets have put together some of the worst at-bats I've ever seen from a team. And I keep reiterating it because it literally just keeps happening. Watch the Mets games. There's no adjustments. It's over and over and over and over again. J.D. Davis, 2-0. Why are you swinging at cutters in the dirt? Pete Alonso, you got six straight fastballs. Bases loaded. Your team needs this. You've never had a grand slam in your career. Six straight fastballs. You pop out to the second baseman. It's just like... I want... It's a sad day. Before we move on to John Frankel, you and Aram had a great conversation with him about collectibles and NFTs and the card market. Before we move on to that, I just want you to play GM for a moment. You are the GM of an expansion team in Santa Barbara, California. You're bringing a World Series trophy home. Javi Baez is on the open market. Spring training starts. He still hasn't signed. He's waiting for the right deal. He's got zero suitors. What are you handing him? A one-year old. What is Javi Baez going to get from Peter Apple, the GM of the Santa Barbara whoever's? I would be a part of those non-suitors. As bad as an answer as that is, I don't really want him on my team. Yeah, I, I'm trying to even find it in me to offer him more than a one-year deal, and I don't know if I can do that. I think you, one year, $7 million is where I'm at for him. I was thinking 11. You know who has a better OPS than freaking Avi Baez? Alex Dickerson, who is okay. He's on the Giants. Like it, Javi Baez strikes out too much, and people say he's one of the best defenders in the world. No, he's not. Yeah, he makes a lot of. He's a good error. defender, but he's not one of the best. He makes a lot of sloppy plays. A he's, lot of sloppy plays. He's got a howitzer for an arm. He's got one of the strongest arms in baseball. But he's, he's electric to watch. But like you watch him over a long period of time, he pisses you off. Pisses you off. He's struck. It's it's the he has no approach. It's I the don't sliders know. low and away for me. It's try, <laughs> it's try and hit a home run on every pitch, no matter the count, no matter who's on base, no matter the situation within the game. It's home run or bust for a guy who has a lot of power, but so not substantial power. Even... We're looking at a Pete Alonso or an Aaron Judge or Giancarlo Stanton, or it's. He's just not that good at baseball. No. And listen, man, you live in New York. I watched Javi do this shit. He was a World Series hero, and then he was super frustrating since then. And now you got to deal with it in September. So we're done with the negativity. Let's bring on John Franco from Real Sports. We are joined by John Frankel, who is the correspondent for Real Sports with Brian Gumbel, who just finished up a piece that airs on HBO tonight at 11 p.m. Eastern on sports cards. Not only the traditional cards sitting somewhere in your basement, but he's also focusing on a new wave of digital assets in the form of NFTs. John has also worked for ABC News, NBC, NFL Films, and is also a Syracuse alum like ourselves. So truthfully, John... I'm trying to learn about collectibles as I see this incredible boom in the market. 
So what's your best piece of advice for someone just getting started after speaking to some of the most successful card collectors in the world? Here's the piece of advice. Like anything, do your homework. I like that. Um, you know, but these guys gave us the impression that there are a lot of people out there who have the sense that, oh, I'm just going to go buy my pack of cards at the local store um, and I'm going to hit it big and I'm going to get a few cards and I'm going to trade and boom. No, you really have to understand because as, as I was learned and saw firsthand and, and quite frankly, overwhelmed when we went to the national, which is the largest card show uh, of the year in Chicago. And it's just acres and acres. It seems like of, of um, tables and booths set up and it's, how do you know what it is you want to get? How do you know what really has value? You know, somebody stamps a Mickey Mantle card and it's, you know, uh, it, it says uh, this is $6,500 or that one's $10,000 or that one's $200. How do you know? Maybe the $200 one is, is the better buy. And, and just because something's priced higher doesn't mean ultimately it's going to have more value. So bottom line, do your homework. This is not throw a dart. Granted, there is luck involved, right? You watch these shows and these podcasts that these collectors are putting on and they're breaking packs. Yeah, you can get lucky if you bought that pack that they break and then all of a sudden in it is a Giannis card or a, a Strasburg, you know, at one point, you know, if you're talking baseball, um, you know, if you were doing football and there's a time, sure, you can get lucky, but there's real homework involved. So when you look at this industry in general, and also I think a big a development that we've seen, as you mentioned, is there's a big market for these modern players. Whereas for a long time, it was always, okay, you want a piece of history that can make a bit more sense. You're going after an old card with scarcity. Now it's, it's almost manufactured scarcity, right? Like this card is one out of a hundred, or this card is one out of this. And you have these kids chasing after them in packs and chasing after them. Like you mentioned at these stores, uh, do you think that there's any level of almost gambling to it as everyone's trying to hit big? You see on on social media, you know, this guy pulled a big card here and now these kids are taking their money and going to, to open the packs. It's a fun hobby, but also there's a level of chasing this profit, right, that I've never really seen before in the hobby. That's right. I think I think it's gone from fun, fun to fortune, if you will. Right. That's what people are looking at. I mean, still, there's that innocent kid who's who starts out at six or seven, but very quickly kids are realizing that, oh, I got this card and the kid on the playground wants it for more money. And so I can make a buck. Um, you're, I think you're absolutely right when you talk about gambling and maybe even the better word is, is speculation like stocks, mm -hmm. um, right? Which is Kurt Rappaport, who's in our piece, who's a very successful real estate guy in Los Angeles. And he looked at it and he said, well, wait a minute. And his, his findings were that Car trading has, um, you know, outperformed the S and P 500 over the last 20 years. So let me get into this the same way that he's gotten into art collecting, um, and whether it's people who collect, you know, watches or, or cards. Um, I think the the point that you hit on, and I mentioned his name, you know, Steven Strasberg, but it's it's yes, the vintage cards, and that's probably where the better value still lies, right? Where you're where you're known that somebody has has proven their, they have a proven performance. There's a legacy there. <laughs> Most important actually is that they've, they, you know what they've done in their career 
and winning a championship certainly helps that, you know, in Giannis's situation that took cards and, and escalated the value of them. So you look at players and you know, their career is already done and they've got the championship, but what it also does is it guards against injury, right? So apparently what we learned is that Strasburg's cards were, were hugely valuable and then his career doesn't pan out the way that everybody expected it to. And all of a sudden the value just plummets. You know, and you'd be surprised by guys' cards and their values. You know, if I told you that Julius Irving, Dr. J of the Philadelphia 76ers, that on the face of it, a single card of his is not worth all that much. But there is one particular card where he's on it with Larry Bird and Magic Johnson, and that card is worth a great deal to traders. And you you mentioned uh, Kurt Rappaport, and you spent a lot of time with him, and he has one of the most impressive collections of sports cards I think I've ever seen. He has the Honus Wagner card that he bought for $3.7 million, and people are saying they offered him double the price. And, and in fact, just last week, that very same card, not his, but that very same card, Peter, the T206, the yeah. T206, went for $6.6 million and is now considered to be the highest priced card ever sold. So what was your reaction when you, when you found out about all this, because you said to yourself, you're not the biggest collector. So what does it feel like when someone says, Hey, this piece of cardboard is worth North of $6 million. So my first reaction is, is what's wrong with you? Um, (laughs) No, seriously. You know, you're like when, and part of our interviews and and discussions involved, you know, I would, I would, I would express it the same way you did, which is you invested this much money in a piece of cardboard. Right. Now, obviously that's ridiculous because you could say the same thing about you invested this much in a piece of, in a canvas, you invested this much in, in a, you know, a 4,000 pound piece of metal that happens to have four watt tires connected to it. <laughs> um, so that's sort of silly on my part, but the fact is, yes, you're talking about a piece of cardboard. So I was amazed. I've watched this market over the years. I've covered other stories about um, baseball trading cards at different times in my career. So I've seen the market do this, you know, where it's really high and things are hot. Um, but I, I do think in, in looking at Kurt Rappaport's collection, when he spoke about it in the same terms of his art, and how beautiful the cards were. I don't think I fully appreciated that until he took out his 24 most valuable cards that he stores in a vault and that we show you in the piece that insurance requires that when he moves them, it's gotta be done with armed guards. And he brings them to his house and they're all laid out on this shelf. And you do see how beautiful they are. And in fact, in one of them, and I never knew this, in one of them, I'm like, wow, that looks like an illustration. That doesn't look like a photograph. You know, the way I think of tops coming out and all the players come out one at a time and put the bat over their shoulder and they'd snap the shot. And he said, oh, no, 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 no. He says that year they actually were drawn. They were paintings and and pieces of art in that way. Not that photography can't be art, but they they, they were so stunning. The colors were so vibrant and sharp. And um, it was it was really impressive. And then when you look at, you know, not only the Wagner cards and but the Jackie Robinson cards again, just beautiful, absolutely beautiful. Something for me that that I really like about the hobby as well to kind of piggyback off of that is the storylines behind it too, right? The Honus Wagner card, whether whether there's some 
folktale to it or not. You know, the, the story is behind the T206, right, that there's a limited print because he didn't want his name associated with uh, tobacco and kids going after tobacco at a young age or with the Mickey Mantle. I believe it's the 52 tops where they made too many. So they started dumping them in the ocean. And now there's not as not there's not enough. And so now you have a scarcity there. So there's something about the storylines too. And I think that's the appeal to art, right? You have a Picasso, you have this, it's, you have a piece of history. You have one of the most iconic people uh, basically who painted this in your house. And I, I see that from the card angle. Did you feel like you gained any more perspective after being in that show, being with a bunch of maniacs? Like I was there maniacs like myself who put so much time, money and, and enjoyment uh, into this when we have free time. Do you feel like you gained a little bit more perspective on it? Or did you feel like you had a good hold on everything? Because for me, when I went into that environment at the National, it changed everything for me. And I've been in the hobby my entire life just to see how much it matters to people and really how much it's the core of a lot of people's lives. Yeah, I, I, I think that seeing it in person like that, you know, rather than individuals. I mean, look, you get when you talk about stories, you you get it when you watch Nate. Um you know, who's, who's from just outside of Nashville, Tennessee, and was selling homes. And by his own admission tells us that in his best year, you know, he made 40, $50,000. And then he decides to go after his passion and he opens up a trading card store and he takes a one, you know, one small sum of cash that he's got and makes the investment. And all of a sudden the guy's making himself three, $4 million. And it's not just the money. It's the fact that he's doing something that he loves, that he is so knowledgeable about, that he's so passionate about. And I watched this guy lean over the counter and talk to kids, you know, and teenagers. And he's like, okay, let's talk about this. And let's, you know, here's what I'll give you. And let me look at the card. So absolutely. And, and it does, it gives you, not only are you, you sort of so impressed by the vastness of the show, but when you see that there are people there who are so knowledgeable, who've put their life earnings and their passion into it there's there's no question and and you see and you also understand you know another side of the story is is that when you see that the fbi is there you know <laughs> trying to to guard against fraud and it comes under their art crime unit the same way that these high pieces pieces of art and artists that you've mentioned um it's a billion dollar industry know, it's, it, it is an industry and it's a serious industry. Yeah. So it's foolish for me to be dismissive of it in, in the sense of like, oh, it's a piece of cardboard. It clearly is a huge industry. Whether it sustains, who knows, you know, but like everything else, you know, what goes up comes down, but then it'll go up again. And something I was really drawn to in the HBO piece was the story of the 18-year-old kid, Adam, from suburbia, New York, who just graduated high school, who is now not going to college because of his tens of millions of dollars worth of trading cards. But Adam seemed like he was a really good kid. He was grounded. He was smart. He seems like he has a really bright future. I have a question for you, John. If your kid, if your kid came to you and said that he was going to forgo college and pursue a career in collectibles, would you let him? I, I, I would say my view is I would say no, only for the reason that I think that collectibles, it seems to me, maybe I'm wrong. Obviously they're, there are people who are doing it as a full-time career. It seems to me that you could trade cards on the side. And you guys know from all our collected experiences at Syracuse University, there's enough downtime when you're at college. There's <laughs> enough downtime. <laughs> that, that, and now, with, it wasn't true in my day, but now with the internet, 
you can certainly and 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 your phone i mean he could be trading and and making deals on a between classes so point. i i i get that he sees that he has a career in this um i get that he's passionate about it i get that he sits there at the balance sheet and says wait a minute i'm going to pay x thousands of dollars for a college education when i'm already making more money than most people in the in the country in the world he's worth more than his dad right and and so i get that equation i certainly do but i do think look there's there's plenty of guys and women who started businesses when they were in college and they managed to do both so it seems to me that this is this is something he could handle but hey listen college isn't for everybody well you mentioned kind of going into this industry and jumping into it and there's no better example than than adam there and uh there's always and it's it's an unfortunate cloud but understandable cloud that always hangs over anything that booms and uh it's always is this going to be a bubble that bursts and you mentioned earlier about the industry itself outperforming the S&P. So, I mean, there's a level of just, yes, it's booming now, but it's consistently been pretty solid once we look past the 90s and the junk era, which you can blame a tangible uh, specific incident for why it affected the market, right? Overproducing. So now you look at it and you say, okay, well, they know not to do that. It's really just supply and demand really at this point and, and how the market continues. What is your take on everything. Now you went to the show, how popular it was there, how many new, I, I was talking to Jeremy Murray, the, the president of Beckett, who said there were more first time visitors to the show than ever before. And that's obviously a great sign. But at the end of the day, the people that are really pumping the money in aren't those first time visitors. It's the investors. It's the the people who are buying these $6 million cards who are coming off of Wall Street looking at alternative assets and stuff like that. That's what makes me a little bit nervous because there's a fragility there. What is your take on everything in terms of the bubble bursting question that almost seems to just always float around? Yeah, I, I think that um, you raised some good points about the, 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 the tangible part of it and, and what went wrong you know, 20, 25 years ago, 30 years ago the production of it all. It'll be interesting, for instance, now that Fanatics, the, the, the um, collectibles company and, and basically has dealt in merchandise, right, um, is now going to take over for tops with, with Major League Baseball. It'll be interesting if they understand the market um, and how much they want to produce, which, which then leads me to believe, and, and I don't want to transition yet because you guys haven't taken me there, but to the NFTs, the non-fungible tokens and the video collectibles. Oh, that was coming. That, that was, <laughs> I, I don't get that. Sure we don't was. know what that is. <laughs> but, but, but I think that that's the same thing when you talk about, and, and listen, I'm sure you can say the same thing in a certain way about art, um, less so about cars and watches, but you know, is it, is it a manufactured, is it an artificial market? You know, uh, is there true supply and demand? Because in, you know, car companies are not making cars. I mean, they are making cars in the sense of they know what the market is and what the demand is going to be, but they're not doing it in terms of the value of the car, right? They're not saying, well, let's only make 20,000 of these because then they'll be worth more. I mean, there may be certain small car companies that do that. I think the problem that lies within trading cards is, is a company doing that? Is a company creating the market by saying, we're only going to make five of these Giannis cards, or we're going to make 20 of these KD cards, or we're going to make, you know, whatever the number may be. Um, 
you know, for, for a certain player. And so in that way, I think it's controlled and artificial. And I wonder about the success of the market, like where it goes from there. Your other point about these investors who traditionally have put their money elsewhere, be it in stocks or art, um, is this just a fad now? You know, COVID forced them to stay home. They couldn't go to galleries to look at art. Yes, you can look at something on a, you can look at a piece of art on, online, but it's not the same thing as going and seeing and appreciating it and looking at the, So are those people going to get tired of it all? Are they going to get bored and say, oh, time to move my money elsewhere. I'm, I'm done with this. Um, but I do see not just the guys who were spending five, six million dollars. And in a sense, it's all it's disposable income to the people, obviously, who are spending that much money. But I see guys who are very successful. They don't have retirement money. You know, they make very, very, very good livings and they work on Wall Street and they're doing the same thing. They're doing it, you know, on a, you know, maybe a slightly smaller level. They're spending 20, 40, 60,000 dollars on cards. Um so what's the long-term future? I don't know. I do think that there is this sense of, wait a minute, who's determining the size of the pot? You know, the availability, the scarcity of all of it. That concerns me. And before if we being, get- If I'm being a cynic. <laughs> and, and before we get into the NFT conversation, I mean, it kind of does relate to the NFT conversation. I feel like the idea of risk isn't being discussed enough with all this because not every investment- works out perfectly. I'd imagine there was a lot of kids like Adam at 18 who made similar investments that it didn't turn out so well for them, given the inherent risks of a hobby like this. And if not kids, maybe on a larger scale, adults. So, so let, let, let's yeah, take sorry, Adam for a second. Is that yeah. okay? Yeah, let's use Adam as an example. So Adam has a gut feeling and maybe also a keen eye, right? Yeah. And he says Giannis in Milwaukee is the superstar. And obviously he was the Greek freak and everybody says, wow, okay, this guy's incredible. Um, let's say that Giannis, I don't know, comes down wrong, tears yeah. his ACL. I don't, I don't want to jinx the guy. So Adam has made this investment of, of multiple Giannis cards. Some of them, at, you know, 20, 50, $60,000. And whoop, there goes his collection. There goes yeah. his idea. And so all of a sudden, are we talking to Adam if his collection isn't worth X millions of dollars and it's only worth a fraction of that, or it's not even worth that. It's just a piece of cardboard again. You know, the Steven Strasberg, again, this is why guys who, who we spoke to tell us that traditionally the wiser investments, and you look at the Kurt Rappaport's that the wiser investments are in the vintage cards, the guys who, who've already hung up their, their jerseys, their cleats, put their gloves on the side, you know, they're done. Um, and it's why the Honus Wagner card is going to draw, you know, $6.6 .6 million. Um, and why the Steven Strasburg cards aren't worth very much, you know, so you can, you know, you can, okay, take Judge in New York. Everybody says, oh, we're waiting for that real breakout. He's clearly a big star waiting for that breakout. Are his cards ultimately going to just be like, all right, he was a really good baseball player, but nothing more. Yeah, absolutely. He may, he may do more in his career. Yeah, and I'm life. hoping he does more as a Yankee. <laughs> <laughs> Yankees guy over here. So here's you saying judge. He's like, he better be worth more. Soon. I'm like, he's not really good. He's very, very good. But digress. <laughs> he, he, no, obviously he is. But I think that, you know, it, there's a perfect example. You know, there might be a kid out there who's, who's speculating, right? Just as, you said, and, or, or gambling and saying, okay, I'm going to buy his cards and I'm going to buy a lot of them. 
and I'm going to wait because he's going to be on that home run list. He's going to pass all those guys. He's going to be X, Y, and Z. Is he going to win a title? Is that going to, is that going to keep his, is he going to get injured? I hope not. No, of course (laughs) not. But it's, it's, I wouldn't wish that for any of these guys, but you know, that's the question. Now, it's a good point because he's a really good player, but it seems like there's a level of with the card market, you have to exceed your expectations. Right now, I would say Judge is meeting the expectations or maybe just even a fraction below it because they were so high on him coming up after that rookie year that he had where everybody's dumping the money in because they're like, this is going to be the next superstar. And he's a really, really good player. And he's still not seeing that boom yet because he hasn't quite broken through that threshold. What's crazy is you talk about the the old cards and I almost liken those to mutual funds. Right. And then you have the, the modern cards, which are more like some of them are like penny stocks and like this right here. And I know some people are listening, so they can't see it, but I'm holding up a Jason Dominguez card because Jason Dominguez is 18 years old. He's played 30 games or so in the minor leagues, but even before he had played a single game in the minor leagues, he's a Yankee super prospect. And uh, people are dumping thousands of dollars into this kid who is just turned 18 at the time he was 17 people are dumping that money into him and there's a wide variance here i mean right now he's hitting 240 in low a and and he could still end up being a superstar right but when you look at something like that right and and these kids are jumping after a dominguez and now we're talking about in baseball especially the biggest risk you can imagine right like you are it's more likely that this doesn't pan out than it does but people don't realize that and they're just throwing the money there uh, what are your thoughts on that before we go over to the NFTs? I just wanted to wrap up on that. Sure, sure. I was looking, this card was staring me in the face over here. <laughs> on my desk. No problem. No problem. So here, here's here's my view. And this is since we've talked about uh, speculating and stocks and the stock market and such. I, I think you've hit on something that's really big. Let's say that Jason Dominguez is he's a startup, right? That's essentially yeah. what he is. I don't want to look at him. I, I hate to put somebody, a person, an individual as, as, a, as a commodity, but he is a startup, right? So think about all the startups. We hear about Google, Facebook, Apple, Amazon, Netflix. I could go on, right? Uh, Instagram. Think about all the people that started companies that had similar approaches, that had offered the same sort of product right? Oh, social media. Let's talk. Let's keep in touch. Let's, right? We never heard about it. That list is so much longer than the list of the four or five, six companies I just talked about. How many companies have, I was just reading the other day, how many companies have started out to do what Tesla is doing, make the perfect electric car? We don't hear about it. That's what the majority of these ballplayers are. I mean, we all know that even take trading cards out of it. We all know that just by prospects who come up through the minors right over the years. This guy's a superstar. That guy's going to be great. Fact is, is we know the percentages, you know, a tiny percentage are ever going to make it to the majors. And of the guys who make it to the majors, a tiny percentage are going to be Hall of Famers. So essentially, you're saying to yourself at, 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 at 18, with limited knowledge of baseball, even as much as you think you know, you, hmm. you've got a limited amount of knowledge. I don't mean you guys. I mean, the average collector has a limited knowledge of baseball. And they're saying, I think that guy's the guy to invest in. I'm going to put thousands of dollars in that in the hopes that he becomes. Essentially, you're looking for a Hall of Fame player. What are the odds? What are the odds? Not, not great. Not great. <laughs> 
And speaking of limited knowledge, I have limited knowledge in the NFT market. Non-fungible tokens. You interviewed someone at the tail end of the piece on HBO about NBA Top Shop, how he started with an investment close to $200,000 and it peaked at a high of $20 million from these digital assets. It's not the same. You can't hold it in your hand, but it's online. It's a JPEG. It's a highlight, but it's authenticated and it's verified by the NBA and the scarcity is what's so, I guess, unique about these highlights. You spoke with him. My question is, why are these better or worse or just different than regular sports cards? Okay, so let's let me do this, because this was an education for me. Yeah. Um, You know, people will say, well, this falls into the the arena of cryptocurrency. Right. Which I also know nothing about. So I'm you and I are in the same boat. okay? but I did do a little (laughs) I got a little bit of an education in, in this. First thing, the NFT stands for a non-fungible token. What that is really is, is the NFT is not the video highlight itself, okay? It's not, it's not that card or piece of art. The NFT is the digital technology that's involved, that's imprinted into the item as a way to authenticate it so that it allows somebody to follow and track it in perpetuity. So... There are pieces of artwork that now that have NFTs. What that means is there's been a digital imprint on it made so that you can track it. Cars could have it. Watches could have it. Other items that people want to collect or track. So you could say, well, this is an NFT. But yes, it's an NFT because of the authentication itself is not the NFT. I just want to make that so that because I had to helpful. I (laughs) I had to learn it. So it's just all of a sudden, it, all it is, is and in this case with the NBA and their partnership with Dapper Labs is Dapper Labs has put an authentication on it, right? They have, they've put a serial number that, that that video can be tracked. Okay, here's my takeaway. It's crazy. And yes, I'm a 57-year-old guy who may not get tomorrow's, you know, where the future is going. It's insane. It doesn't make any sense to me, at least when it comes to these two video highlights in sports. It may make sense in art to be able to track it. okay? but you're talking about let's take the most popular one, which is the LeBron James dunk where he pays tribute to Kobe. Right. And he does this dunk. So Dapper Labs issues, meaning authenticates a thousand of those videos clips. Number one is no different than 762, no different than number 433, okay? It's just the same video. It's not from a different angle. Number one of them doesn't have LeBron talking about it. It doesn't, you know, there's nobody, there's no commentary. It is the same seven to nine second video clip. The very same one that if in the course of talking to you, I went online and looked for it, I could watch it and I could watch it over and over and over. It's the same one that if you were watching ESPN and they wanted to do a tribute to LeBron James and they say, here are his best dunks, they would show you that video clip. It also doesn't allow, if I were doing you know, a documentary about LeBron James and I wanted to use that video clip, The owner of that video clip 
doesn't have the right to license it to me. I still have to go to the NBA. So you're owning something that you don't even own and that everybody else can own. And that there's no distinction between what you have and what the guy who has number 1000 has. Now, back to the what Arm said about the artificial market when it comes to trading cards. This is clearly an artificial market because they've made just a thousand of them. They could just as easily have authenticated 20 of them, right? And for some reason in this world of NFT collecting, they've decided that the one that has the video collectible, the digital highlight that has the number one authentication to it is worth more than number 640. Why? <laughs> like, okay. I don't know. Who knows, right? They could have said, hey, seven's my lucky number. So I'm going to determine the market as a whole says, Oh, if you get seven, that's lucky. That's the most valuable. There's a, there's no rhyme or reason. Okay, so number one has more value to it than number two, than number seven hundred and twenty-two. Why? It's the same seven or nine seconds. Here's the other thing that we learned, and I know that there's been, and I'm sorry, I'm going on at length about this, but there's there's a sense that it was very hard to move your money in and out of NFTs, right? Mm. That if you decide that you want to unload one of your NFTs, you, you've traded it, you've sold it. Um, you, you were take it was taking the company more than several days. It wasn't instant. It wasn't like Venmo or any one of these other sites that, oh, you made a transaction, boom, and there's your there's your real bank account, not not your Bitcoin or your crypto or whatever. It's your real bank account, and the money wasn't getting there that fast. So it was it was mm-hmm. our sense is that it's very hard to cash. To, to make a trade in real time and see the money, okay? The other thing was, is that you were limited in whether you could basically cash out because they're controlling the market, right? Like they're saying, no, 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 you can't because what happens if there's, if this guy, Mike Levy, who's, you can go online and you can see that there is a list of the the, the people who have the top value of NFTs. And at the time he was number two with about $12 million. Well, let's say Mike wakes up tomorrow morning and says, you know what? I want my 12 million. I'm done. Okay. Well, they're saying, no, 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 no. You can't can't get all out at once. But on Wall Street, you can. Now, it would be the same thing, right? If all of a sudden, if if Leon Musk said, oh, I'm selling all my stock in Tesla, you'd be alarmed. Right. Well, why why is he? what, what, What does he know? You know, does he know the cars aren't any good? I don't know. But point being that, they're controlling the market. So it's not a really a free market as, as we understand it. So I, I think that there are problems with the NFTs. And again, the most basic of it is that what you have, <laughs> I can watch anytime. <laughs> I, I, I could put it on a loop on my computer and put it in my living room and be like, oh, look, there's LeBron James doing, you know, dunking as a tribute to, to Kobe. What's the difference between mine and yours? That's what I'm saying. <laughs> It, that's where it's really hard for me to understand. And, and I know people probably will counter argue that with, well, I could just print out a, a picture of your card, right? But it, it, it looks so different. It, there's just a level of, of authenticity. And I always use the term inherent value because what's the inherent value in this NFT? It's really just based on uh, what almost NBA top shot 
creates narrative wise, right? Psychology wise, where it's like, number one is the one you really want. And almost just subtly pushing these things into people's minds, whether you know it or not, is this is what you want. Now you have droves of people going after a specific area in that uh, collection or in that uh, industry. And and that's where it's really hard for me to understand. I I have three roommates and two of them are really into the NFTs and a lot of money in NBA top shot. And I've seen they're telling me how they can pull out and profit. And I'm like, do it, do it. Like, why are you not? I, I just don't see how it can go. Uh, any further, but they seem to believe that crypto and, and everything is going to continue to go. But the last thing I want to say on, on NFTs, on NFTs specifically with sports, is they believe in the cryptocurrency market. And long term, I do believe in a lot of facets of it from what I know and from what I understand, which is not very much. That being said, could the crypto market boom? Does that necessarily mean that the NFTs and sports NFTs are going to continue to boom with it? Like, could those two be mutually exclusive? And that's an important component, too, for people that are maybe betting on NBA Top Shot or whatever it may be, because they believe in cryptocurrency, maybe more so than the actual Top Shot product. Yeah, I, I don't know the answer because I don't know enough about crypto and where that's going and, and what the future holds for us. And, you know, listen, we've long held the belief that we're always going to have cash and maybe we won't. Right. We, we all use cash and less than we ever did. So. Um, will that will that continue? And, and, and at a point, we we won't use cash. And so, so is the NFT market hitched? You know, hitched to that wagon of crypto? Maybe it is. Um, and maybe people say, well, look, you know, Mike Levy might say you use trading cards, but there's going to come a day when people don't use trading cards. But I'm with you. Not only can you hold them and feel them and 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 lay them out if you don't have Kurt Rappaport's $40 million collection, but you know, you find a way to put them on your mantle. But the, the difference to me is, as you pointed out, that there is a tangible difference. You can look at one card next to another card and say, that has a crease in it. This, mm-hmm. The colors are more vibrant. Yours is worn out. Yours doesn't have, you know, the statistic side got smeared, whatever it is, there's a, there's a difference. There is not one difference between, you know, number one of LeBron's dunk and number 700. I will say, I will say that if the NBA and Dapper took a different approach, I mean, here's the analogy. Let's say that you guys download music, right? Of course, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Okay, any one of those, right? Let's say that Spotify, uh, let's pick a Beatles song, Let It Be, okay? Good song. Good song. Yeah, it might do all right, I think. I think people will like it. Um, so let's say Let It Be is out there. Now you can download it, I can download it, and millions of others of people can listen to it or download it, right? Okay. If if all of a sudden Spotify said, we're going to take 100 versions of Let It Be, and we're going to authenticate them, <laughs> we're going to put some kind of digital chip into the one that you download, and you can download it instead of for free or on Apple for $1.29, it's going to cost you $10,000. Well, why? Peter, why would you pay $10,000? An arm can get hear the same song. Now, if Spotify said, I'm going to attach to this Paul McCartney talking about how introducing the song and talking about how it got made, how the lyrics were written, who decided to write the music for the, of the four, <clears throat> excuse me, who, who wrote the music? <clears throat> Pardon me. If he gave you some background, so that made it, you know, it'd be like, yeah. you know, it'd be like if, if, if Picasso had given you some sort of 
written documentation of how he painted a certain painting, right? Or Pollock or any one of these folks had done that. Okay, that brings some value to it. There's your inherent value. There's your inherent value. And that that's what the NFTs don't have. Perhaps they will change that. It's such a new market and they'll figure out, eh, you know what, this isn't worth so much. I mean, somebody, the same Mike Levy was telling us that I think there was a Giannis play that was distributed. There's 40,000 of them. <laughs> like, just a who lot. cares? Yeah. Who cares? Um, and so I, I think the, the NFT thing, I, I'm sure that I will end up with egg on my face and the market will evolve and it'll be hugely successful. And somebody will pull this out of the archives and be like, John Frankel is a moron. And, and there's probably people already who are going to say that based on many other things I've said in my career, but based on this, they'll be like, that guy doesn't know anything. Well, John, last one for me, after, after watching your piece on HBO, after talking with you, I've spoken with arm a thousand times. I really want to start investing like whether it be in the NFTs, I got to do my homework, like you said, or possibly some vintage trading cards after you did the piece. Do you, do you feel that? Are you going to start investing or are you maybe, eh, maybe it's not for you? Not for me. Not for, not me. for me. Okay, well, there you go. Because, because I think, because, because it goes back to where you started, Peter. Yeah. The very first question, which is what's involved? What's, what does it entail? What does it take? And it's homework yeah. and it's knowledge. And it's the same way that people study companies and read the small print. And it's the same way that the guys who, who got ahead of the, you know, the, the market in 2008, when the housing market crashed, who had read the small print on mortgages and loans and how they were being bundled and, and that it was all, you know, those guys who made billions and billions of dollars, it's doing your homework, right? It's knowing why Facebook might be more successful. Yeah, there's luck involved as to why one startup might make it and another doesn't. They got more cash, they raised more capital, whatever it is, they met the right people, they, they got the right investor. Um, but in, in, in this case, I don't know enough and I don't, you on the other hand, because you follow baseball so passionately. And again, you know, who's to say how much knowledge you have compared to somebody who's been in the game for 40 years. I I try my best, but you never know. You're right. (laughs) But, but if you follow it, then yeah. Would, would I say, take your life savings and drop it into this? Maybe not. Probably not. Yeah. Probably not. (laughs) And I also don't have to advise you on college since you're already through it. (laughs) God. Yeah, we made it out. And the funny thing for me is what got me into it. I've been collecting since I was a kid. It was something I shared with my, with my father. And uh, that was the enjoyable part, right? Like going to get that hall of famer that I always wanted the beautiful uh, Ernie Banks card. That's pink. It was one I always wanted. I always just gravitated towards it. So I was like the art form of it. Uh, But now when when you look at what's happening, as you released this, talked about it just a little bit. The big news that Tops is no longer going to be the exclusive license holder of you know, Major League Baseball for the cards, and that's going to end in 2025, where now Michael Rubin and Fanatics, which has just been a wagon, is going to continue to truck forward here and uh, get into the sports cards market. Now that you've been doing this story almost simultaneously as this happens, what are your thoughts as we close here? on what that could potentially mean for the sports card market. Obviously there's a lot of unknown, but I'm just curious what kind of your pulse or what the pulse was that you got from some of the people you may have talked to, or just from being in it as this all happened and unfolded, what your thoughts are on all that. 
I, for full disclosure, we were as surprised to read about what Fanatics did and and the transactions that unfolded with Tops and Major League Baseball and the and the Players Association that was involved in all of that. Um, so I, I think Tops, from my sense of it, is that they had no idea this was coming either, right? Baseball baseball kept it very close to the vest, and they were negotiating with Fanatics on the side. I think what it does illustrate to us is one things change, right? That what we all grew up with tops being synonymous with trading cards. Um, things, you know, there, there was a time when certain products were it and they, and they disappear. So things change. I think what it tells you is that with Michael Rubin and Fanatics is that they clearly see this continuing to go up, mm-hmm. right? That guy, is, that guy has been a businessman since he was in high school. We did a story on him. That guy, that guy is an entrepreneur and a really smart guy, much smarter than I am. So when I sit here and tell you NFTs, you could probably have him on and he'd tell you exactly why NFTs are going to be huge. And this is only the beginning. <clears throat> but I think the fact that Michael Rubin and Fanatics got into this, <clears throat> pardon me, um, it only demonstrates that he sees this as growing. And I think that he has enough wherewithal to know how to make it grow. He clearly understands what sports fans want. I think already having this other company that makes merchandise, right? I mean, we know that the cards that have bits of jerseys are, are, are really valuable, right? Gameplay jerseys and such, um, you know, so now Michael's got this relationship with, and Fanatics has this relationship with the leagues and merchandise. So now he puts a player, he's able to get the player's jersey. What he can do to take that market and really explode it, because he's already got such a foothold in the industry, I think he can grow it in, in a way that, that we can't imagine yet. Um, again, you know, nobody can predict the bubbles. Nobody, nobody knows when things might soften. But I think when you got smart people like that doing it, it shows you what the future is. And, and, and Tops was probably moving in the right direction when they wanted to do, you know, had plans for an IPO. You know, unfortunately, the, the rug got pulled out from under that. But, but maybe not. Maybe maybe what Fanatics does is change the industry in a way that we couldn't have imagined. I hope so. And John, thank you so much for joining us today. This was a fantastic conversation. Be sure to check out his piece on Real Sports with Brian Gumbel. It airs tonight. We're recording on Tuesday, but this will come out on Friday. And it'll be airing all week, correct, on HBO Max? Yeah, it'll be on HBO Max. And then, of course, you can you can stream it. You can download it. You can, you know... Probably watch it in ways I again I can't even imagine. Maybe but, it'll uh, turn into an NFT one day. I was going to say, down. is it serial? <laughs> serial numbered as an NFT? Do, do, do you guys know? I I will say this in 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 closing that there was a gentleman whose article I read when we first started getting into this who wrote a piece for the New York Times. He covers tech and he explained NFTs in a very simple, understandable manner. And then as a joke, he went to his colleagues at the Times in the art department. He said, "Can you create a digital?" impression of my article the headline and no he way. joked with his his other colleagues and said oh what do you think i can sell this for like five cents ten cents you know a dollar and he was going to raise money whatever he got and he was going to put it into the times cares which is their nonprofit, which is they then make donations to it sold for close to five hundred thousand dollars because it was the first new york times article nft and there was a guy in the Middle East in the, in the UAE who bought it because he somehow decides that this is going to have value one day. The first New York Times NFT. 
And I think the value, <laughs> like an army, it's like, I, I don't know. We're both looking just... at you just floored $500,000. And you think about it, the first New York Times NFT, that realistically, if the market continues to rise, like I think a lot of us are predicting, that could be worth millions of dollars one day. But yeah. 500000 seems so insane. Insane, especially because if you think about it, whenever the New York Times first published in the 1800s, like I bet you the very first headline of the New York exactly. Times is not worth that much money. Yeah. It was that's, the beginning that's, that's of that's the, the great... You know, that's like, here was the most iconic, you know, here's, or, or the most iconic headlines, you know, men land on the moon or whatever. None of them are worth that. But somebody has decided that because I've, I've it's got an authentication on it. And but that survives the test of time too. Like that's the thing is, is, is that's what gives it value, right? Is it survives time. It hasn't disintegrated. Like this digital thing will never, ever uh, really fatigue. Right? That's, that's where it's to me. Maybe we could just take a little screenshot of this. It was our, our first uh, <laughs> our, our first conversation here with John Frankel and NFT that and see what we get. Oh, God. I, you know what? I don't really want to know my value on the market. <laughs> I bet <laughs> it's more be, than you think. That'd be really depressing. That'd be so sad. You guys have a future in front of you. I, you know, I got a great future in my rearview mirror. But it it's like, I, you know, I, I, don't, I don't want to know how little I'm worth. But we're the mutual fund, John. If we all did NFTs and we came out and someone evaluated them at like five or ten dollars while the market is booming, that that wouldn't be very good for our egos. But John, thank you so much for joining us. We hope to have you on again, maybe next year when we're talking about the Honus Wagner card being twelve million dollars. We have no idea. I I bet you. I bet you, guys. Thank you. It's really been a pleasure, and best of luck to you You guys. Have produced something that's terrific. So keep going. Thank you so much, John. John. All right, guys. I'm jealous I wasn't on that conversation, but I had the sniffles. It's always been, it's been kind of your flu week, but you're feeling better right now. Uh, right? Yeah, I'm on the downswing. I still have that feeling where it's like the airplane is on the descent. Yeah. So my ears like your pop. head's foggy. Yeah, that's, that's where I'm at right now. Uh, still Dude, a little. You got to get a juice in you. You got to get a juice in you, some vitamins in you. We've been talking about that. I know. I've been pounding Dayquil. Okay. And I just had some Honey Nut Cheerios, which are heart healthy. I'm thinking that might get me on the upswing. We'll see. Uh, but great conversation. I just laughed at the Honey Nut Cheerios. <laughs> no way that they're actually good for your heart. No way. They're what just do you mean? they're just circles of sugar. What do you? Like, how is that good for your heart? It has a little bit of fiber in it. Lowers your cholesterol, I guess. How? It's Honey Nut Cheerios. Honey Nut Cheerios, it's grain. <laughs> Go look on the back of that box. I bet you see per serving about 25 grams of sugar and like 200 plus calories. Okay, you know what? Like, like, like a, a donut in the morning, just like crunchy. False, false. Honey Nut Cheerios and a donut are not similar. False. They're more similar up. than a lot of Shut other up and recap John Frankel right now. I mean, what a freaking interview. John John was so fantastic. Like I said earlier in, earlier in the show, we just learned so much about the NFT market. I learned so much about the trading car market, also about their the national show in Chicago, about how many fans, all the first timers there. It was, I think they said it was the first time they had the greatest amounts of first timers out of show in the history of all of that they've done. Yeah. Um, 
The trading card market is booming. NFTs are booming. We see on social media that you buy an NFT. It's a JPEG. You buy it for 50 bucks and people are selling it for $20,000. I mean, we're in, we're in peak blow-up mode. And it's because it's, it's right along with the crypto market, right? As we see Ethereum, as we see Bitcoin continue to rise, a lot of these NFTs are sold or bought with Ethereum. And as the Ethereum price rise, so does the NFT. So it's almost like not only are you buying into the art factor, you're also buying into the factor that you think the crypto is going to continue to rise. And I think everyone is starting to move towards that direction. I know I have crypto in my portfolio. Do you? Absolutely. I, I don't. Uh, I but. feel like I should probably get on. I don't know. I've never really thought about the, the emerging markets like that. I do have money in stocks and I think about emerging markets, but I think about tangible emerging markets, never really non-tangible emerging markets. So I, I think that's something that I got to think about, but trading cards is something that I'm really interested in because it was a COVID hobby for me to, to go in and, and see what I had as a kid. I mean, my dad would, you know, get me some cards and I was like, oh yeah, these are cool. Like these are my favorite players. I never really understood how valuable they were mm -hmm. because I don't think a lot of people understood how valuable they were until we saw this big boom. I mean, think about this. The trading card market has outgained the S&P 500 in the last 20 years. That's crazy. That's crazy. And it also has a lot to do with the current boom, but still it has. So if you invest in a card 20 years ago versus stock, I mean, I don't know, specific stocks, specific cards, but overall, the market is, the market's better. Hey, there's, there's stocks for sports dorks like you and me. I love it. I Everything love is going into the media sports space right where we are. Perfect. Join the Perfect. party. It's fun. Oh, he's Peter Apple 23 on Twitter. I'm Jack underscore McMullen 11 on Twitter. We are at Just Baseball Fans on TikTok and Instagram. We are at Just BB Media on Twitter. And we are twitch.tv slash Just Baseball Fans. Absolutely. God, I nailed that. And also, if you could please leave us a five-star review if you're listening on Apple Podcasts or toss us a follow on Spotify. It's the best way uh, to help out the podcast and to support us. So thank you guys so much for listening again. Jack, you got anything? Yeah, I'm looking at a I'm looking at good weekend series right now. All right, let's do it. I've got Cubs White Sox at guaranteed rate field. I know that's what I'm going to be watching. Shane McClanahan against the Orioles at Camden Yards tonight. I that's that's easy money. I mean, raise money line, throw a, a trillion dollars on it. Um, I don't know what else jumps out to you. Yankees Yankees A's is a good one. Yankees A's have a four-game series in Oakland. I also, this is getting released on Friday, but my pick for Thursday was Yankees Moneyline. I also have Carlos Rodon taking on Hunjin Ryu today. Yep. Um, I think the White Sox will win, and I think the Yankees will win, but I'm very excited for this Giants-Braves series. The Braves are on fire. The Giants are the best team in baseball. Um, outside of that, I'm excited to see if the Orioles lose 23 in a row because they're playing the Angels right now. They're losing a lot in a row. They just won. They go play the Rays next. They won last night, man. They won last night. You goofed. Thank you, everybody. Thank you, everybody.